Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lamorgis. Hello, everybody. This week on Get Me Another Halloween, we'll be talking about three slasher films from 1981, all of which are set in and around high schools or colleges. First up today is Final Exam. At Lanier College, they have the finest security, the best teacher-student relations, no fraternity hazing, strictly enforced curfews, and a killer. He's come back. Final exam. When are you going to realize that the whole world isn't made of psychopaths? There's a murderer around campus killing people. Some may pass the test. Lisa! God help the rest. Final exam. He's come back. Written and directed by Jimmy Houston, Final Exam was shot in North and South Carolina in the fall of 1980. The film stars Cecile Baghdadi, Joel S. Rice, Ralph Brown, and Deanna Robbins. It tells the story of the students of Lanier College, who on the last day of the semester, when the campus is largely empty, are hunted down by a deranged, knife-wielding killer. And if that synopsis feels a little bit generic, that's because so is this movie. Um, It's not generic at all, Chris. Uh, I mean, this thing (laughs) opens up with the most subtle Halloween slash tubular bells music ripoff that I've ever heard. It's it's sublime. What I thought was hysterical is that it opens with a scene. It opens with a scene of a of a guy and a girl in a car, and we later learn that at a, they're at a different college not far away, and it feels like the opening scene of He Knows You're Alone, except instead of having the conceit of being a movie within a movie, this is just the movie. Yeah, and um, it just in case you want to know what kind of movie this is from. Scene one, you will hate 99% of the characters in this movie, starting with this jerk quarterback in the car. Oh my God. He is not only, he's the worst boyfriend and I think a terrible human being on top of it all. All of what you say, no, like he is, he is terrible. He is by own, his own admission too cheap to pay for a hotel room. And when his girl asks him, you know, if if he loves her, his eyes bug out like he's Ronnie Cox at the end of Total Recall. <laughs> yes. Uh, and what I love the most about the, uh, she wants to go to, you know, somewhere else. And he says, no, I don't, I don't have money for that. We're sticking here. He goes through this whole thing about how the college wants them to park on college where there are people around. <laughs> And then that's when I'm going, wait, what? You aren't at a remote makeout <laughs> point? You're like in the middle of your college where you expect people to be walking by. And then he's shocked when someone walks by who he yeah. erroneously mistakes to be uh, the other members of the football team who are harassing him because uh, everyone knows when you're the star quarterback, everyone harasses you. 
on the football team. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. Naturally, though, it is not it is not members of the football team that that are walking by. It is the killer stalking him and uh, them, I should say. And, and exactly what you think is going to happen is what happens. You know, it, it's it. There's no surprises in this opening sequence whatsoever. Yeah, I guess the one surprise is the superhuman strength of the killer when he <laughs> yanks the guy out of the car. I mean, he's standing up and just bends over and lifts out the quarterback like he is a rag doll. Um, I, I'm just like, it It may not be a supernatural movie, but holy moly, this killer is unstoppable. I will say that the, the killer's uh, physical prowess is very impressive throughout the film. Um other things are less so. Well, what happened? So this is just the opening sequence. We then shift over to Lanier College as the school year's winding down. And a group of students, Courtney, her roommate Lisa, as well as frat boys Mark and Wildman, and their friend Radish, who, if he had survived this movie, would certainly be hosting a true crime podcast today, are all worried about their chemistry final. Now, here's my question. Mark says he wants to go into advertising. Why is he taking college chemistry? Like who takes chemistry in college if you don't you're not actually majoring in a science? Like even if you have a core curriculum, take something other than chemistry. Well, I he's such a jerk. Uh the way that he talks about chemistry is very dismissive. Somehow, some way, Lanier College, clearly this is a prerequisite for everybody, is to take uh. chemistry. I think I think the professor rigged it that way so that he could sleep with more students. <laughs> uh, the- Everybody in this movie is just unlikable. We'll get to that in a minute. But like it, it's it like the, Lisa, the the roommate, is having an affair with the chemistry teacher, and like you know she makes a crack about his wife, saying she must be almost thirty by now. It's like I I can't stand any of these people, and I'm wondering if like this is the beginning of sort of making everybody so unlikable, so we can go and and kill them. I think it feels that way. I don't know that they thought of it consciously that way. Uh, but, I mean, because, like, Wild Man, right? Oh, God. He He's like a proto-ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. But yes. before, but, like, in the first movie, before Ogre then was supposed to be lovable in, in a sequel. Yeah. Um, and this is a protagonist that like we're caring about. Same with Mark, who is just the worst. Um, oh, Mark! Mark, who comes up with a plan to steal pills from the from the, like the college locker room, like and starts and sell them so they can have money. Like, I, like it, it. All of it is terrible. That's not uh, even the worst and, plan and that Mark has in this movie. Yeah, Mark uh, has a much worse plan than that, which we'll get to. <laughs> yes, that that is true. Yes. Um, well, now, that said, so far this movie has been kind of no surprises whatsoever. And no scares. But then something something happens in the first 15 minutes, which literally my jaw dropped. Here's what it is. And now, again, I should give our usual spoiler admonishment at the beginning. We're going to be talking about uh, spoilers for all three of the films today. Uh, and while... Uh, for final exam, there's not a whole lot of uh, layers to peel back of the onion. Uh, our other two movies very much uh, is are the opposite. They have a lot of layers, and we're going to be dealing with sort of the questions that they raise. Um, so about 15 minutes into final exam, a van 
pulls up on campus and a group of guys get out in ski masks with assault rifles and start shooting up the campus. Some kids appear to get shot. Radish calls the sheriff. The, and then the attackers gather the seemingly dead bodies and pull them into the van and take off. And it soon becomes clear that the entire thing is staged in order to, I kid you not, disrupt the chemistry final and allow Mark to cheat. Rob, from the perspective of 2022, when we are recording this podcast, it is honestly the most shocking thing I have seen in any of the movies we've watched in the entire series so far. It's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, what's even more mind-bending than just the we're going to fake a terrorist incident, and this is early 80s, so this is also 100%, um, you know, a little a little back to the future where this is, they're clearly trying to be uh, Middle Eastern terrorists. The Libyans. Yeah, the Libyans. Uh, but Mark's cheating is stupid. He literally... Oh, it's so dumb. He, he just takes out a red pen when everyone's distracted, quote-unquote grades his own test, and then slips it in the pile like no one will notice that he graded his own test. This is his, yeah. his great plan. And I have to tell you, this tells you everything you need to know about the intelligence of Mark. <laughs> oh, God. It, it's... <sighs> Rob... I try to contextualize movies in the time that they were made. <laughs> I don't necessarily hold movies from the past to the modern standards of today. And, you know, it, it's, it's you know, a movie made in 1956 is not the same as a movie made in 2022. But holy shit, this is just, I, I it was hard. To, I, I, could, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, well, this would be a non-starter. Like, this would get a studio note today being like, Fat chance, pal. Like, why would anybody want to do it anyway? But like, holy God. Yeah. And the reason that it, it sticks in the mind so much, because as you point out, we've watched plenty of older movies, even just for this podcast, where it has elements that you wouldn't have in a, in a movie today, but sure. it's, it's a blip, right? And you move on because the movie has other stuff happening. In final exam, like, you have the opening kill. Not scary at all. Not tense. Not at all. You, you even have this supposed terrorist incident, which, because of the, the test and, and Mark's feelings about the test, it's pretty well or telegraphed that it's not real. But it's also not shot. It's not a tense sequence. This is a, no, it's this is so like a terrorist group coming in. It should be like at least a little action oriented or tense. And it just is so flat that I, you are left with nothing other than, holy shit, I can't believe they're actually doing this, uh, but not in the good way. Yeah, no, it, 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 exactly. It, it is a holy shit moment in, 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 oh God, okay. Anyway, uh, so this happens about 15 minutes into this movie and, and for I gotta say, for people who are sensitive to these kinds of things, I mean, uh, I, again, it's just really hard to not have a 2022 mindset when what like we've been watching kids get killed for 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 three episodes now, and hey, listen, that's that's uh, that's what these movies are, but this was just a whole other, oh boy, uh. Putting that aside, it is very clear to me that this movie was pitched as Animal House meets Halloween. 
because there's a lot of fraternity ass shit. And I got to tell you, I'll, I'll say up front, I did not go to a college that had fraternities. So I find the whole concept kind of ridiculous. Like I, I know myself well enough to know that I would never put up with that pledge shit. And it mainly seems like fraternities are ways for to manufacture circumstances for guys to get laid. Uh, which leads me to something else I don't understand in this movie. One of the eventual victims, Gary, is a pledge at the fraternity. And he 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 bows and scrapes to the older members of the fraternity. But, like, he's already got a really nice, very attractive girl who looks vaguely like Katie Sackhoff. So why the hell does he want to bother with a fraternity? Like, I don't even get it. Just head off into the sunset with Starbuck, man. The problem here is, is that it's just... The movie overall just isn't very engaging. You don't get swept no. up in it. Um, at times, it, it's so bizarre. Look, in a movie like this, you're lower budget, and you have you're picking your battles for what you can get and what you can't. Right? right. They spent money on a lot of gunplay and squibs in a sequence that's not really giving you a ton. I don't think. They're, they're spending money on having the camera go in in the cafeteria to like the uh, the dish thing where. Oh, the I was going to talk about that, too. Down. That was so weird. And I'm like, what? Why are you spending the money here? What? what? Like, it just makes no sense. I, I, I realize that they're setting the shoot up for later. But you don't yeah. need to well, like, you know, uh, it, this, this isn't panic room. <laughs> you know? To describe to our audience, what there's a scene in this movie that's so strange. Like, so you have a couple of characters who are talking in the dining hall, uh, you know, whatever. And the scene ends and we follow Courtney, who is our main character. She takes her tray over to where the used trays go. And the camera then follows the tray down a mechanized conveyor to where they are. the trays are emptied into the garbage by an employee who he then bags up the garbage takes it out to the dumpster, dumps the garbage just as Courtney is walking by and we rejoin her and continue on with her. It is the weirdest thing. Now, I did realize later that it was setting up the killer was going to ride that thing down into the lower part of the kitchen. But like the whole movie, I'm like, why did that shot even happen? And and even more so, all of the follow through just to get back to Courtney, you can just, I was thinking... And I've seen this movie before, but, you know, I, I don't watch it frequently, so I'd forgotten. I thought, oh, is this geography from the, uh, you know, from the, the shoot and the dishes? Is that into getting outside where we then see Courtney coming by? That geography is going to be really important later, isn't it? No. Uh, <laughs> no, it is not. Not really. Not so much. Uh, I do want to mention we have a sheriff who is taken straight out of Smokey and the Bandit, continuing the heavy Smokey and the Bandit influence of movies from the late 70s and early 80s. Everybody talks about Star Wars. Everybody talks about Halloween. We have done done whole series on both. Uh, but, you know, Smokey and the Bandit has this weird influence in strange little ways throughout the 70s and 80s. It's there, man. Oh, yeah. You can have uh, space cops who are Smokey. You can have... Cops in a slasher film that are smoky. It is, uh, it's universal, Chris. It is. It is absolutely universal. Also, our universal are the shots they uh, they took directly from Halloween. <laughs> For example, the the girl walking away from camera just as the killer moves silently into frame from the right. Uh, we have a shot of the girl, in this case, Courtney, looking out the window to see the killer below. And then when she looks back, he's gone. Um, you know, these are these are also universal. 
Yeah, you have the drive stalking where the killer is driving. I don't think it's, at least I think it may not be a station wagon. <laughs> they may have No, it's a van. The, yeah. Oh, that's because right. you're supposed the, to at first think it's, yeah. the, they do a switcheroo, but it's the, you know, there's a lot. And, and again, I've, I've said on this podcast, I love vans. I loved <laughs> the van in, in prom night. Uh, but here, you know, vans not used to great effect. Um, like prom night, this movie has some pacing issues. Um, in that it takes a long time to get to that first kill after the initial opening scene. And then once the killing starts, it's one after another with very little opportunity to rebuild suspense after you have a a, a kill scene. And I think lack of suspense is really the movie's big weakness. Yeah, and and a lot of that has to do with the craft, right? Because we said it's not yeah. it's not like the Halloween story was it was very simple very to the point in the best way possible here. It's the exact opposite where it feels like the story they're making overly complicated at times, but then for the craft, like, okay, when pledge Gary is tied to the tree because he'd given his pin to his girl and the frat members find out. And that means that you get stripped down to your underwear tied to a tree. And then they like whatever shaving cream you and ice you in your shorts. Right. Like Um, hell. I would fucking, (laughs) Like hell, would I let that? Just no, there's just no way. Yeah. But this is a scene where then you cut back later and the killer is coming for Gary. Yeah. Let me just, there's one technical point here, and this will come up in one of the later movies too, where I had mentioned how Halloween played with darkness quite a bit and what you couldn't mm-hmm. see and how great that was. Well, here, you know, they've got the darkness. It's at night. It's actually night. It's not day for night. Uh and the problem is, is it looks like they've just show, uh, shown like a giant Klieg onto Gary and the the tree. And it looks like, oh, they're illuminated by a giant spotlight. And then there's no other lights. And it just kind yeah. of, it's just not Dean Kundi's cinematography. No, um, it, it, it is not. And, and that's, you know... That that creates issues. Uh, I will say they had a the, there's a, a a fight between the killer and Wild Man in the gym that I thought <laughs> was pretty terrific. Like it's an extended fight sequence, and the killer is a big guy, uh, and and as is Wild Man, and and it goes through the weight room and everything. I honestly thought that was maybe the highlight of the movie was that 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 fight scene between the two of them. Um, yeah, but Wild of course, Man, Wild Man loses he, and gets yeah. stuffed in a locker. And yeah, then they do the is, stuffed uh, in a locker gag twice. Yeah. So wild man, death by Nautilus machine. Uh, and <laughs> it was the eighties. It was my favorite part is that after he dies, you get that shot. You cut back inside the gym proper to the basketball scoreboard. Yes. The horn sounds and the killer changes the score. It's home zero away. One. One. Uh, because, uh, spoiler alert, not really, because you will learn nothing about the killer, but he doesn't go to the college. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> well, well, yeah, th- th- I think it's time we, we jump into this because this is an interesting, if, if there is something interesting about final exam, it's this point. We've only referred to the killer as the killer. And the reason for that is because we never learn his name. Uh, and perhaps the strangest aspect of this movie, aside from the faux school shooting at the beginning, which is just bizarre, is that we never learn the killer's identity or motive. 
Like there's some talk from Radish that he's struck at other schools and we kind of get that in the opening, but that's it. There's no backstory as with Halloween and his identity is never presented as a riddle to be solved. He's just a big guy who likes killing college students. Uh, and, and it makes final exam sort of, I mean, I hate to say it, sort of unique in that it is a slasher movie with neither mystery nor mythology. That's in which case, bizarre. I'm not sure what we're doing because <laughs> yeah. those are the things that add the story that makes it interesting. Either you have an interesting mythology that you're exploring like Halloween or you have a, a whodunit, you know, who is under the mask. And, 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 you know, that's kind of the crux of the thing. And those are kind of the two models. And this says, nope, we're not going to do either. But they do hide the killer's face throughout much of the movie as if it is a whodunit. They... But they don't really do much red herring. It's uh, so, so I'm just like, weird. No, there's no red herring. Why didn't you just show his face? I, I, maybe maybe because they saw he knows you're alone. I don't know. Uh, it's so strange. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, with with something like he knows you're alone, that was a case where they, you know, he was just a guy, you know, walking down the street. He wasn't wearing a weird mask or anything like that. But there, they built up the backstory and the mythology of yeah. oh, he's killing brides and that kind. Of, here, it's none of that. It's just. It's so weird. It is. It's just such a weird uh, thing. Uh, eventually, Courtney comes back to her dorm and finds that her friend Radish is dead. Like he's hanging through the door. He's been pulled through the door. And then she runs out. And what fascinates this is again talking about there's a lack of suspense. You know, in, in Halloween, once Laurie finds. The, those the bodies in the house across the street you you then end up you're then in the last 20 minutes where just the tension is is off the charts here she finds a body she knows oh there's a killer you know on the loose and but we know she runs out of the dorm and we know she's in no danger because the film has already told us that lisa who is waiting in the nude for her kurt vonnegut looking professor is the killer's next victim yeah and you know, Courtney, it's, I really want to bring this up. She winds up being the final girl by default. Uh, yes. Again, because you have no mythology and no motive, uh, you, you have no idea why she's the one at the end. But also, throughout this movie, she's kind of the least important of all of the kids. You spend the least time with her. Maybe there's the one other, uh, maybe the, uh, maybe Pledge Gary's girlfriend you spend less time with than Courtney. But that yeah. is about it. And there's, it's just kind of like, well, we were spending time with everyone else and they wind up getting killed. So I guess she's at the, at the end. Um, there's just like kind of nothing there. Um, it, I, it's I don't very it. strange. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, the chase with Courtney and the killer goes all over campus. It goes through the dining hall. Uh, it eventually climaxes in the bell tower. And here's where the other unexpected thing for this movie happens. They had set up earlier that the football coach was a bow hunter and was going to be meeting his friend on campus to go hunting late that night. So he shows up, he sees Courtney in the bell tower and she's like crying for help as one would. And he pulls out his bow and arrow and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is what's going to happen. The, the, he's going to come in and take the killer out at the last minute, you know, Loomis style, except with a bow, you know, and arrow. So that nearly happens. He, he gets the killer to sights. He lines up the bow. He shoots the arrow and the killer catches it in midair and then proceeds to stab the coach to death with it 
I got to be honest, of all the things in this movie, that was the coolest. Yeah, and that just goes to the killer is superhuman throughout this thing. Uh, the reflexes there are amazing. Earlier, he punched through like a full wood college dorm room door to then immediately kill Radish. Uh, <laughs> he just yeah. like punches through a door as if his hand is an axe and then grabs the guy, slams him against the door and kills him like seems fairly instantly. Uh, yeah. So, th- but I will say the one nice thing I can say about final exam is that that whole end sequence with Courtney is rather tense and there are some scares. It's creepy there, which then it's one thing if you don't do it all movie and then I'm like, well, maybe you just couldn't do it or you didn't want to. But you do it at the end. I'm like, why? Why didn't you do it earlier too? I, I it, it. Anyway, it boggles my mind. Uh, there are the there's the there are the bones of a really great slasher movie here. Yeah, uh, and it, which I think makes it a little more frustrating for me personally. Uh, and maybe I'm I'm being a little uh, harsher as a judge because of it because you can see the amazing version version of this movie and it just doesn't doesn't really get there. Uh, at the end, Courtney, by the way, is saved by the fact that one of the stairs in the bell tower is not up to code because the killer's coming and the, the stair goes out from under him. He ends up falling down to the, the bottom of the bell tower. Um, you know, on any other day, that stair would have been a lawsuit that would have wiped that college out. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, and listen, hey, if you're out there and you're like, hey, listen, final exam is my favorite movie, then. You know, hey, that's great. And anything that brings you joy, any movie that if, even if we don't care for it uh, and it brings you joy, it, it, it then it, it puts something good into the world. And and that's, uh, you know, uh, that's something and that that has value. So, uh, you know, even though Final Exam was it's honestly the first movie that I really didn't care for that we've watched in this series so far. Yeah. Uh, in, in the Halloween series. Uh, but, you know, hey, if there are big final ha- exam fans, final exam heads out there, you know, then 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 embrace your joy because the world's a, a bleak place as it is. And, and you got to take your joy where you find it. Yeah, because I'm I'm about to say some things about the next two movies uh, and my love for them that I that I think a lot of other people will find insane. So <laughs> uh, I, I well, we, as we move from uh, the college setting of final exam back to high school for our next film, uh, and that is Graduation Day. There are 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. The class of 81 is going out in style, and they're having the time of their life. It's been a great year for Midvale High. The track team finished first in the state. Then again, Midvale always produces winners. Sally Prescott is the top gymnast in the school. She plans to go to college in the fall. Paula Kastoff won five cross-country events in the past year. She jogs to school every morning. Ralph Johnson is the football team's star halfback. Pete McFarlane set the state record in the pole vault. Tony and Dolores were king and queen of the prom. The class of 81's being fitted for caps and gowns. 
and coffins. There's 200 seniors at Midvale High in seven days till graduation. Too bad there'll be no one to celebrate with. Graduation Day. Graduation Day was directed by Herb Freed and written by Freed and his wife, Anna Maurice. Uh, and it is everything that final exam is not. It was shot in Southern California in late 1980, and this movie has a streak of weirdness running through it that I absolutely loved. I actually texted you, Rob. Like I, we, we, for, I, I think I texted you, we're five minutes in, and this movie is so weird, and I'm in love with it. Uh, it's just everything about this movie is a vibe, and I'm totally feeling it. Um, I couldn't, I thought I had seen this movie, but I, I think. Let me put it this way. I, I was conflating all three movies today. Like, I, I thought I had seen all of them, but I had actually seen none of them or remembered it. I think I had seen this movie at a double or triple feature at the New Beverly or the Cine Family. And now I'm not sure because I think I would remember something so delightfully strange. I think you may have fallen asleep on the couch at the Cine Family. But I yeah, it, it might have been. And it might have been just because it was like the third movie. And, you know, hey, listen, you know, we're yeah. as we get older, it's it's tough to, you know, you don't have the, the energy that we once did. Um, Graduation Day stars Christopher George, Patch McKenzie, Danny Murphy and Michael Pataki with appearances by Lene Quigley and Vanna White. Yes, that Vanna White. Uh, it was primarily filmed at La Canada High School here in the L.A. area. And uh, we open with a track meet and a montage of high school athletic competition set to an amazing song called The Winner. And it is glorious. Uh, and we're watching this race and there's a girl who's pulling ahead of the pack and her teammates and her coach are cheering her on and she's closing in on the finish line. The crowd is on their feet. She crosses the finish line and wins. And then she drops dead to the ground. Uh, it's it's an incredible opening sequence. Uh, it is every bit the opposite of the of the of the one at, at final exam in, that had no suspense whatsoever. Here it's like what what is going to happen? I, I want to mention the editing in this movie is yeah. incredible, incredible. the The editor was Martin J. Sadoff, who also did the three D work for Friday the Thirteenth Part Three and later edited Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. But it's so unique. Like the editing here is it's almost dreamlike. Yeah, I'm going to okay. I'm going to preface so that you know that I'm not a completely insane man. Look, this is a low budget film. I'll even talk about instances later on where the the low budget kind of impacts it. And you know, Herb Freed, while I love what he did with this movie, I'm not saying that he is John Carpenter as far as just like making excellent technical like in every frame of the film. Okay, disclaimer over. Herb Freed is a genius. The editing yes. in this movie is genius. It is, for those of you that went to film school, Graduation Day's editing is Sergei Eisenstein's theory of dialectical montage in an 80s slasher movie. Okay? For those of you that don't know what I just said, the explanation is such. Where you have, uh, it's how one image clashes with another. Okay, so yeah. if, if I show you an image of a pig and a pen, and then I cut to 
bacon sizzling in a pan, I have given you a new idea that was in neither of those shots. And then if I compound that further, and the third shot I show you is a a child reading Charlotte's Web, you now have another idea that's combined out of all of those images that is not quite what either image had. Graduation Uh, Day does this, and it does it with flashing strobe editing that that takes you across cuts in this way that is... Um, both exciting and disturbing, and it looked this. This looks like it was edited as part of a film school project, and I say that in the best, most loving way. It's yeah. I, I cannot believe that this movie exists. That was the much better version, the much more educated version of what I said. Is the editing is brilliant because my God, you know that's a uh, you know one of us went to film school, one of us studied theater, and I think you know the audience could probably tell who is who. <laughs> And just one thing I want to call out here, as long as we're talking about the editing, is the stopwatch in a black gloved hand. It is yes. part of this opening sequence because the, the coach is doing the split times and uh, to get Laura to you know go faster or whatever, right? That is an image that gets cut into a lot of things now throughout the film. And it's yes. signifying the killer coming. But it's also, and you're getting shots of Laura throughout as she's, winning the race and then collapsing. These things are getting interspersed in sequences throughout this film in ways that are really effective and the use of music to go with it, where in that beginning where you're going from the winter song into kind of really creepy atmospheric synth stuff. And it's, uh, I mean, you, you can feel the change in a really great way where you're like, Oh, the mood, the mood is gone. And now this is, this is bad. This is tense. I'm like, ugh. Absolutely. Uh, Much like the opening scenes of Prom Night and Terror Train, uh, uh, Laura's death uh, is is the inciting incident for this film. We soon learn her name is Laura Ramstead and that her death was caused by a cardiac embolism. Although we don't get that much until later. It's just that she died in the middle of this this race. Uh, We then cut to a woman in a naval uniform being driven into town in a pickup truck. The woman is Laura's older sister, Anne, who has returned to town for Midvale High's graduation day ceremony where her late sister will be honored. And But what's interesting to me is like this movie constantly was surprising me. And it's just like the way this information is given is you don't see Anne in the truck at first. All you see is a like a female naval officer's hat. And then you, you get the conversation on the end with the truck driver who is a, 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 just a complete jerk, you know, and he starts to make a pass at her. He, he actually has a line, I've got plenty of tongue for both of us, which uh, mm. is just, uh, uh, yeah. but the scene ends with her literally grabbing him by the balls and putting him in his place. And I'm like, that is not what I expect to happen next. Like it was, it, it's constantly doing things to surprise you. Yeah. And as part of that whole open, that that kind of, I think, is the capstone for, like, the introduction to everybody. Yeah. Uh, up until that scene with Anne coming home, everything else, you know, we've talked about a lot of these movies when you're in the Halloween tradition that you have a lot of scenes with the kids uh, goofing around, uh, talking about their, their hopes and their dreams, but on the, you know, the high school level or whatever. Here, you don't get, there's almost no dialogue, almost no dialogue in the first 10 minutes of this movie. And, but you are, you're very expertly in like these musical montage uh, sequences and things. You're going around and you're meeting everyone. You're meeting all the characters. 
Um, and they're introducing them to you. And, and frankly, you know, there's some that you don't get a ton of information about, but there are key characters that you're getting a lot of really great introductory material and it's just visual and it's just the action. Uh, and, and with Anne, I think that's great too, because that action shows us who she is right off the bat. Yes. Anne gets out of the truck and then we see kind of like, you know, crossing her path. Uh, is is this girl who's doing cross-country running through the woods. And then we follow her, and she is attacked and killed by a black-gloved killer who times his victim's death with a stopwatch. And it is, it is first of all, it's amazing how early this first kill happens in comparison with some of the other movies we talked about and how well-paced the, 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 the kill sequences are. You know, you have time to regroup and then start to ratchet up the tension again. Um, I will say that this movie and our next movie today both have a fairly strong giallo influence. And, and for those who don't know, giallo are these Italian mystery thrillers that are, are kind of a precursor to the American slasher film, although they have their own qualities. Um, but one of the things that is, is just very common in giallo is a killer who wears black gloves and you know like right from from blood and black lace mario baba's film that kind of you know kicks off the giallo wave um and and also the bird with the crystal plumage too um both of these films i don't think they quite qualify as giallos but they're close yeah and in 1981 la canada everyone has a pair of those black gloves uh Everyone. Everyone. Everyone has has a pair of black gloves and a gray uh, sweatsuit because that is what the killer wears. And we see everybody's got one. Yeah. And some people have a knife in addition. Some people have a stopwatch in addition. Um, it, this is a movie that is chock full of red herrings. Absolutely. Because as, uh, everyone who's getting knocked off one by one is everyone who is an a photograph of the track team that included Laura. Yes. And and the photograph of the track team, as, as the killer starts killing off the track team, the killer crosses each face off with what looks like red lipstick. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Because I should mention when Anne gets home at the beginning, when she opens up her suitcase, we see black gloves. Um, yes. Yes, we do. Uh, Absolutely. Every, everyone had those gloves. <laughs> And we 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 Anne goes to the school, and we soon meet Midvale High School's principal, played by prolific <laughs> character actor Michael Pataki. Uh, and honestly, this is the most realistic depiction of a high school principal in cinema history. Like he goes on a rant to rowdy students that it like that graduation is not for for is for them and not for him, and it. I honestly think I heard the same speech by my high school principal. All right, seniors. If you can't behave, we're just going to have to call this whole thing off. Is that what you want to see? Is that what you want to happen? Hmm? Well, is it? Well, what's it going to be? Behave or quits? Come on, make up. Behave or quits? I mean it. I'm serious, boys and girls. Graduation is for you, not for me. And remember that. Now simmer down. I mean it. That's better. Michael Pataki is one of those guys that if you saw any TV show from the 60s, 
to the 90s, you saw him at some point. I believe he was a guest star on both the original Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as acting in dozens of films, including both Rocky IV and Halloween IV. And I just... The, the depiction of the faculty at Midvale High, uh, they're all horny and they're all like, they're all horny. The security guards smoking grass. It is the most realistic depiction of a high school ever put to film. And this just re- leads me into every adult male in this movie is terrible. Uh, terrible. From from what Laura's, uh, you know, Ronald, the stepdad, to the principal, yeah. to all of the teachers, to the, to the coach. Uh, to that truck driver or whatever who picked her up. All of them. Uh, They're all terrible, but it's weird in that not all of the male, you know, students are. So this isn't, it It feels like you get a mix. Yeah. We also meet Kevin, uh, who is uh, Anne's late sister's boyfriend, who was also on the track team. And, and he's not terrible. Um, you know, it's just that, he looks 35 is really the only thing about him is that that dude doesn't look remotely like he's in high school. Um, he, he looks like he should be teaching high school on an oil rig. Um, yeah. It's, it's but a, a fine performance, which is probably why they, Oh, he's really decided good, to, but it doesn't look remotely. That just, dude is not a high no, school student. Um, no, not not remotely. Especially and, cause and, most of the other, most of the other actors look very young. Like they look more high school than he does. So that yeah. helps make the contrast even worse um but yeah he's 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 a good guy he's not he's not terrible um it, one by one over the course of this movie the, the members of the track team that laura was on are hunted down and and they also all kind of play other sports and that gives opportunities for tremendously creative kill sequences and i think this movie and our next movie, really, we start to see some, you know, kind of for the first time since Friday the 13th, which we talked about back in episode two, we start to get some really creative and interesting kills. Um, there's, first of all, I want to mention the campus of Midvale High is massive and very mm-hmm. heavily wooded, which gives is very convenient for the killer. But we have like, there's a scene in the gymnate where, where there's a scene where the gymnast, Sally, is being stalked by the killer in the locker room. And it's it's beautifully shot. The way yeah. he moves behind her on the other side of a window, like a reflection, it is incredibly well done. And that moment in particular, because uh, I want to say the almost all of these stalking and kill sequences are very tense and you do get some scares uh, in contrast yeah. to, to the one before. So the, these sequences that come throughout are almost always super well done. Uh, they, you may see some scenes, but that's a whole other thing. But in yes. that moment where she's in that the the locker room area, and there's like that office behind her with like a giant open window, as you said, we see the killer behind her. She then moves kind of a little past the window to go around the corner where the door is, and you're wondering if the killer is going to just come get her. And you have the best cat scare, the best yeah. fake scare, when the two other uh, you know female students come around the corner, and you get the like a ah moment. Yeah. Uh, and then the tension is kind of let go, but it it isn't like it is for the characters, but not for us because we know the killer's still right there. Right. Yeah, it's really well done. Another thing about the gymnast is there is a sequence of gymnastics as they're taking yeah. a photograph of her, and the coach is being super mean about it, and the photographer yeah. is saying, "No, no, it's okay." I'm just going to again say something else insane 
okay, the way the gymnast is shot, the way they do this, it's not, I'm not saying it's shot for shot, but it is highly reminiscent of Lenny Riefenstahl's Olympia. That's amazing. Which is the movie she shot in, you know, for the Berlin Olympics. These are the Olympics under Hitler. Uh, and right. so I am not saying that graduation day is endorsing the views of, oh, of course Nazi not. propaganda Olympia any more than any movie that uses cross-cutting is endorsing Birth of a Nation. Uh, but it's right. just, again, this is something where, I mean, it's kind of beautiful and it gets a little ethereal where you're getting the way as it, you get that, that feeling almost of the gymnast flying through air, not quite as much as in Olympia, but uh, I just had to call it out again. You can tell me I'm insane, but I, I won't listen. Oh, absolutely. No, you, 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 you paid real money for that film school degree. This is the opportunity to use it, man. Um, more, more than I have the opportunity to often use my degree. Uh, <laughs> um, we have, there's, there's some amazing, amazing kills. There's, um, there's, there's, there's one of the characters is killed by a fencing sword to the throat, which is a fantastic sequence. Um, you have another fo- member of the team who's also a football player and the killer puts a sword, a fencing sword inside the football and throws it back at him. And it goes right. It's incredible. Like it's just the creativity here. Um, yeah. I mean, we get, we get another full on decapitation. Uh, this one, while the victim is taking a piss just to add insult to injury. Uh, and, and I have to say the scene that I referred to as the pole vault of doom, <laughs> which is just, it's everything you think when I say pole vault of doom and you're imagining what, what's the worst thing that could happen to a pole vaulter. That is what happens. And it is fantastic. And a lot of those kill sequences are happening during the rock and roller skate graduation party of your dreams, Chris, yes! <laughs> and of my dreams. The, yes, the band I in the song I think the band's felony, and then the song that they're playing, which by the way a lot of a lot of these types of movies will do just a little needle drop. This is definitely in the New Year's Evil school of yeah. thought, where if you paid for that song, it should go on for like a five or six minute mega sequence, and look that can go awry. But here I love it. Oh no, and I I just Rob, I'm gonna tell you. Murders notwithstanding, I wish <laughs> I went to Midvale High in the early 1980s. It is a world of short shorts and feathered hair and the roller skating party with a lie. I mean, just honestly, it's just a vibe and I'm very much here for it. And it's just, oh, oh. I, I, there's, it, it, there's no bullying at this school that you see. Everyone seems to be no. relatively cool. The, except for the principal, you could say, is the only bully in the movie. But even he's 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 a he's a typical high school. He's the typical yeah. high school principal. Now he's harmless. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the day after the party, you see, several murders happen during the course of that party. And then what happens the, the bodies aren't found. So the next day, parents are calling the principal looking for their missing kids. And the principal's just like, I want to get these parents off my back. Uh, it's so it, he's just so like just wants to get through graduation day. Now, here we're going to get into some deep spoiler territory. So let me just tell you, if if you've listened to us so far and you haven't seen Graduation Day and think it might be your bag, I, I highly encourage you skip ahead 10 minutes and we'll talk about another movie. But like it, it's it, we don't want to 
if, if someone thinks this might be for them, I really want them to enjoy this film as, as unspoiled as possible. It is available, I believe, at the moment on Peacock. Uh, but there is also a wonderful Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, uh, which I have, and that's it, it's it's terrific. Uh, it's a terrific presentation of the movie. So that said, here we go. We're going to get into um, spoiler territory. So the the movie kind of climaxes where the it appears that the coach who pushed the uh, you know apparently was a hard you know pushed the kids very hard. It apparently he is the killer. And a fight ensues between him and Kevin, the boyfriend, and and it starts in like the locker room, and it ends in like it goes across campus. It is it is like the fight from a quiet man, you know, where it's like it is massive, and then you get out into this again the, the acres of forest around this high school, and then in what is an amazing sequence, the tables turn, and it turns out that Kevin is actually the killer, not Coach Michaels. By the way, the coach's name is George Michaels, which is just amazing. But it is not the coach. It's Kevin. And it's incredibly done. But the cops have no idea. They are convinced that the coach is the killer too. So they show up and they shoot him dead. It's And that is, um, it's this whole sequence is incredible. Absolutely. And it leads into... Another incredible sequence with Anne yes. and Kevin, because Anne uh, does not know that Kevin is, does not yet know that Kevin is the killer, but she goes right. to his house, which she has visited before, and makes the mistake of going upstairs without Kevin. And and it's it's funny because the 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 ups the, the the house the first time you go in it seems kind of normal but then it clearly is weird the second time and she her going up the stairs it feels like the detective going up the stairs in Psycho where he's going up the stairs and it just it's like it's got that sense of you know that something's wrong oh and that's appropriate because in the sequence we get a bunch of Bernard Herman uh, music cues uh, in it uh, <laughs> yes yes. It's funny. There's a there's a sequence earlier in the movie where the music teacher is 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 talking to some students, and you could a, a, the name Bernard Herman is actually written on the chalkboard. I'm like they are they are fully telling you what they. But the but she goes upstairs and goes upstairs, and she finds in in the bedroom, she finds Kevin with the body of her sister, and he has gone full whack job, and and he becomes angry that she won't give her blessing to their wedding. It's amazing. And another fight ensues and both Kevin and Laura's corpse crash through the window. It is amazing. But if you think the movie's over, it isn't. Oh God, it's, he's still not dead. So Kevin ends up chasing Anna all the way to the high school where the, where they come across the bodies of the people he's killed. And finally, after Anne uses some nifty karate moves, she's able to push Kevin onto the spikes that he used to kill the pole vaulter in the pole vault of death sequence. It's amazing. Yeah, this, that that whole end run of this movie is so fantastic. You get you get some. They studied Halloween where you get the you know the killer goes out the window. Uh, you look out at them, but then it turns out they're not dead when you go down. And yep. then the the final chase where the bodies of everyone who you haven't seen uh, keep popping up. So they're doing the classics here, although it's, it's and, and during that final chase, they thing. keep cutting back to the, the race with Laura from the opening sequence. 
Yes, yes, which is very not Halloween. Uh, yes, but but amazing. Uh, it, but if anything, the very very end, the like the last scene of this movie is, I felt the only thing in this movie that for me felt a little bit of a letdown. But that's just oh me really. Personally. Yeah. Well, because at the very end, you know, now having with Kevin being dead, uh, Anna, uh, Anne is alone in her room. I keep going back and forth between calling her Anne or Anne. She's Anne. Anne is alone in her room and she has a vision of undead Kevin coming for her. And then that's revealed to be her drunk father wielding a vodka bottle. And, and the, the, I actually think it's a great transition where the mother comes in, flicks on the light switch, and you go from the image of undead Kevin to her father. And and that's kind of like, you know, sort of that's their last scare. That's, that's you know, um, you know, Jason Voorhees jumping out of the lake kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, it's just so slow paced, so it doesn't have that shock value or like, you know, the Freddy glove coming out through the door to suck the mom in at the end of, or the Carrie thing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so it's just so slow moving. Uh, and it I don't know, for me, it, it's not an exclamation mark to end the movie. It's like a, a period or maybe an ellipsis. Uh, it's it's like it's like well shot and stuff. And I did I did appreciate when the lights come on and how that changes. But it just it kind of felt a little beside the point to bring it back to Ronald or whatever. Um, anyway, but that's uh, just nevertheless, like, graduation day is just so fascinatingly weird of a movie um like it 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 boggles the mind and uh i love it i love that i love this movie i recommend it as highly as i can we move from a public high school in california to an exclusive private school in canada for our third film today happy birthday to me someone's having a party for the top 10 the senior class snobs before they get to celebrate Six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. Virginia, don't go away. Come over here, Virginia. It is up to you to determine whether you wish to subject yourself to fear, terror, and shock. Because of the bizarre nature of this birthday party, pray you are not invited. Uh, Happy Birthday to Me was produced by John Dunning and Andre Lick, who would also produce My Bloody Valentine, which we'll talk about uh, next week. And they did My Bloody Valentine after Happy Birthday to Me, despite the fact that um, the the latter film was actually released in theaters earlier in order to have it in theaters for Valentine's Day. Uh, The movie was written by John Saxton and Timothy Bond and Peter uh, Jobin, and it was directed by J. Lee Thompson who I, I have to say just had an incredible four-decade career that includes <laughs> The Guns of Navarone, the original K. Fear, Conquest of and Battle for the Planet of the Apes, the last two of the original Apes series, and he became one of Charles Bronson's go-to directors in the late 70s and 80s, making nine films together, including movies like Ten to Midnight, The Evil That Men Do, Murphy's Law, and... Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. Um, 
it's he, he he's got an incredible career, and this is an interesting little piece on the road. Um, Happy birthday to me tells the story of Ginny Wainwright and her friends who who are the most popular students at the elite Crawford Academy and collectively refer to themselves as the top 10. Uh, One by one, each members of the clique are hunted down and killed by an unknown assailant. And the question soon becomes, might Ginny, who is still recovering from a brain injury caused by a car accident, be the killer and not even know it? Uh, the film stars Melissa Sue Anderson of Little House on the Prairie uh, as Ginny, as well as Tracy E. Bregman, Jack Blum, Matt Craven, Lawrence Dane, and Glenn Ford as Ginny's doctor, David Faraday. Um, and uh, there's a couple noteworthy aspects of this movie. One, with a budget of between 3 and $4 million, it's the most expensive film we've covered in this series so far. And it shows. It, it's, it's great looking. Uh, as well as with a running time of 111 minutes, it's the longest as well. Uh, and while the film was shot in Canada, the intended location is kind of kept unspecific. Uh, and the film has some, it, to me, had some very New Englandy, had a very New Englandy feel. Like I was like, oh, this feels like it'd be an elite academy in like uh, Massachusetts or Vermont or somewhere, somewhere in New England. Um, yeah, I, I, this is an interesting film. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. You, you forgot one other notable thing about the movie, Chris. Oh, the plethora of split diopter shots. That's right. Yes, this is split diopter heaven. Woo. I didn't. I didn't forget. I just hadn't gotten <laughs> to it yet. My goodness. But yes, oh, there, are, so there are. Uh, oh no! I, I absolutely. And in fact, there's one scene where you have some really great split diopter shots. And in the scene, it's in a, it's in a character's uh, apartment, and he has got a poster on the wall for Star Trek the motion picture, which itself is replete with split diopter shots. And we talked about in our Get Me Other Star Wars series. And I'm like, Rob, that is meta cinema right there. Uh, it's a split diopter mystery wrapped in a split diopter enigma. <laughs> and I've, I've lost the joke. But I, I will say the direction in this thing overall, uh, again, you want to talk about uh, tension and just the look. This is probably of the three the best looking this is the best looking picture these are the best frames you're going to see sure. out of any of the three movies we're talking about today the direction is very like expert you know this is i mean he's been working for decades at this point at a high level yeah this move so in these movies when you are having those scare sequences they are tense they are scary um and it just everything is working great on that level which is why the just overall weirdness of this movie is so, so great for me. I know other people have other opinions, uh, perhaps even my co-host, but no, I, I like um, this movie. I'm, I'm still trying yeah. to like, I'm still trying to figure out if it works. Like it, it's like, there's, there's so <laughs> many weird things in this movie and it's not just like one weird thing. It, it's, it's, it's like one on top of the other on top of the other. And I'm just not quite entirely sure if the tower of weird plot twists still stands or like a Jenga puzzle with too many pieces missing comes collapsing in on itself. I, and I'm not set on it. Um, I also want to mention that this move, like uh, Graduation Day, there's a very strong Giallo influence here. I mean, oh, the yeah. black gloves are a tell. Um, what what keeps, um, you know, and also the uncertain 
perspective of the protagonist. That's another thing with Giallo's is like, well, what did you really see is always the question. Uh, what probably keeps both films from kind of qualifying as Giallo's is the lack of a detective character, either amateur or professional, who is, investigates and, and moves the plot forward. Uh, I want to mention that the American film that probably comes closest to being a Giallo is a 1976 movie that came out before Halloween, so we didn't cover it, called Alice Sweet Alice, which is terrific, and is probably the closest to an American giallo. What this movie really reminded me of was some of the Hitchcock-esque psychological thrillers put out by Hammer Studios in the 1960s. Movies like Taste of Fear, Paranoiac, Maniac, Nightmare, Hysteria, and often... In those films, the sanity of the main character and by extension, their ability to discern reality is called into question. Uh, In Happy Birthday to Me, it appears that Ginny is suffering from blackouts. And during those blackouts are the times that the murders appear to occur. Uh, now, again, we're going to give a spoiler warning because this movie has twists and turns and we it's impossible not to talk about it. So, again, if, if, if Happy Birthday to Me is your bag, um, you know, Put us on pause and come back to us later um, because it's it's spoiler time for, for this film. We open the movie with an attack on one of the top 10 named Bernadette. And I have a question about this attack because I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, she's attacked in her car uh, and a struggle ensues. And then she's able to get out of the car and put some distance between herself and the killer or the attacker, I should say. And then she encounters someone else who she appears to know and who then whips out a straight razor and seems to kill her. And what I want to know is, were there two people? Were there two attackers in that scene? Because I'm really not clear. Oh, I, I think it's it's the same person. Uh, uh, also, um, that attack is notable. The, the part where she gets away from is the classic killer in the backseat trying to strangle you uh, yes. in the car. And it, go, it is just brutal and goes on for a very long time. That strangling it is. Um, it does. It's, it's, it's tough. Uh, and then the surprising part is she gets away and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, but I, I, I think because she paused, I, I buy that it was the same person that could kind of go around. It, it may have been, it was just one of those things that because there's so many, and we'll get into the layers of, 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 of weirdness to it. it I was, I just wasn't sure. Um, and, and, as with graduation day, you have some really creative and 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 interesting kill sequences. Um, there's a you know often matching someone's hobby, like the dirt bike enthusiast has mm-hmm. his school scarf caught in the motor of his bike, and it it strangles him. Uh, another guy who's lifting weights is crushed by the weights, which I Rob I exclaimed so loudly during the weight kill. <laughs> that my wife came downstairs to see if I was okay. Cause wow. Oh yeah. And even more so, I mean, final exam had someone killed by weights, right? Yes. This feels but not like this, not like this. And that in this one, I think you're right. This feels like a precursor to the, what you love kills you trend of like, uh, some of the Freddy kills later. Yeah. The a, nightmare a on Elm Street later. Series, yeah. Um, yeah. I also wanted to call out, at certain points during the stalking, and definitely at the beginning stalking, this is the first film where the music is now not copying John Carpenter's Halloween score. Mm. You're getting some Manfredini cues. There are yep. points in this movie where they are 100% 
uh, you know, working with the Friday score instead. Friday the 13th, Absolutely. I should say, not Friday with Ice Cube. And so that's notable, uh, again, where we talked about this is going to start happening. And I think the kill, the elaborate kills that you're referring to in this movie, which uh, are great, is also kind of, you know, that that influence is being taken from Friday the 13th as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, there's a, a sequence early in the film where um, the kids play chicken with a drawbridge that's going up. They have cars. And not only does the bridge play a key role in Ginny's backstory, but the first thing I thought of with that whole sequence is stunt work like that doesn't come cheap. And now we're seeing the the bit expanded budget and uh, Jay Lee Thompson's, uh, you know, who's a very experienced director, the ability to shoot those, those sequences effectively. And, and uh, you know, it's like, Oh, there, there, there's the money on screen right there. And that's a tense sequence when they're getting across in, in like an action movie sense, right? It's not a scare sequence in a horror movie sense, but again, you're like, well, that's great. If you're not having a killer stalking sequence, you're giving me something else that's tense in a different way. And you're keeping the level, you know, you're keeping that level and atmosphere, but you're mixing it up. I mean, it's just really good. And one way this movie kind of keeps you guessing as to who the killer is, is that everybody's a little creepy. Like everybody's kind of a creep. Like there's the one guy who sneaks into Ginny's bedroom and steals her underwear. That's a creepy thing to do, kids. Don't do that. If you like a girl, that's not the way to show it. Yeah, even if you're French-Canadian, that is not yeah. the way to go about it. Just, no. just be awesome at motocross. That's what you Exactly. Do. Just be awesome at motocross. Uh, another <laughs> makes a far more realistic prosthetic severed head of Bernadette, who by this point has been missing for multiple days. And there's a great scene where Ginny and her best friend Anne stumble into this this guy's apartment and they find the severed, they think they find the severed head of Bernadette. And you're like, oh, this, well, this is fairly early to be finding out the killer, but it's it's this prosthetic head. And this is the scene where uh, there's Star Trek, the, there's a Star Trek, the motion picture poster in the background and some amazing split diopter shots. Yeah. Um, and that character well. is and, Alfred, who is dressed like Radar from MASH, but yes. acts like Radar from MASH was in Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, like, <laughs> he is 100% creepy. The guy carries around like a pet rat, uh, which yeah. plays, plays a role at the, the the severed woman or whatever. Or no, the uh, not the severed woman. The woman has a severed head. The silent woman pub. The, uh, oh, yeah. the sign is a, a headless woman. Uh, and anyway, Alfred, yeah, every guy in this movie will, for at least one scene, act like an insane maniac. <laughs> I yes, love it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's like, there's another, another one of the guys takes her up to the bell tower on the, on the, now this time, at least there's, there's, you know, up to code stairs going up there, but like he talks about like, oh, he's, he's making all kinds of Quasimodo jokes and he cuts his own hand and some of the blood goes down and like everybody's a creep for 10 minutes in this movie. Every guy in particular. (laughs) Yeah. Except for, I guess maybe not, uh, not the doctor, not David, not her psychiatrist. Yes, Dr. David Faraday, played by veteran Hollywood actor Glenn Ford. And let me just set that here's the look that Dr. Faraday sports. He's got a sport jacket. He's got an open collared shirt that goes just kind of 
well down. And then a big ass medallion that he wears. It's like, you know, the seventies are kind of in their final throws at this point, but it reminded me of, Oh God, David Jansen, the TV's The Fugitive uh, in a movie he did in the mid seventies called The Swiss Conspiracy, where the, 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 the box, the DVD actually brags about his, his virile graying chest hair. And I'm like, Glenn Ford is taking a page out of the Swiss conspiracy. Uh, I want to dress like that for Halloween, Rob. That's my, maybe, maybe this coming Halloween, I'm going to go trick or treating as David Faraday. and No one's going to know. Only you will know. And the listeners of this podcast, if I come, if I, if you see me walking down the street, uh, dressed as you know, with a, my collar open and a giant ass medallion, you'll know who I am. Yeah, and in and the chest hair to boot, uh, you can pull it off. I do, I, yes, I, I could not pull. I, I could not pull off that costume. Uh, I will. I'll be upfront with everybody. <laughs> I'm proud of my um, body, but, Chris. <laughs> uh, Doctor Faraday is treating Ginny for uh, she, you know, because she has lost part of her memory and she is having flashbacks to this accident and her subsequent treatment, which involve. A very graphic, the most graphic scene in this movie is the open skull brain surgery. It's it's so weird. And it's just so like, oh, well, that's a thing. It's it's like kind of almost reminds me of the spinal tap sequence from um The Exorcist. It's it's yeah. so graphic in a realistic way. And I want to talk about all of the post-accident medical work in this because it it enters almost, and I, I chalk this up to a little bit of exploitation. You're like almost well, yeah. entering scanners territory. So I just want to, <laughs> the doctor is Dr. Feinblum. Uh, yes. And he recreated the electrical field that a salamander generates when it loses its tail to regenerate Jenny's brain or Ginny's brain cells after the accident. Okay. Uh, this is uh, David tells her all of this as she's kind of remember having flashes and memories. Um, yes. So I just want to say that again. <laughs> Recreated the electrical field from a salamander's tail to regrow a brain. Um, and this is just tossed off like it's nothing. <laughs> Some of this is explained by their science teacher, their biology teacher, who's giving them a lesson in just this very thing. And it ends up like shooting a static electric discharge at one of the students, which is clearly an animated like bolt. Like it goes from his finger to the other guy's nose. And I, like, I'll put a like a screenshot of it on, on, on our, our, uh, our, Instagram and uh, and Twitter f- pages, which is, by the way, get me another pod. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and you could see the the of this. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's amazing. There's just there's some amazing aspects of this movie. It, yet it's very well made. It's in general, it's it's it is it is professionally made. Yeah, and I all of the because this alternates kills, and you don't get a ton of kills early. Uh, no. So this is a movie that's taking its time to set things up and it's setting up kind of you, this one, you really are getting to know all of the kids, all of their relationships. Yeah. They're hitting at stuff in Ginny's past, you know, Virginia's past. Uh, her mother's gone. Uh, the dad is still around, but he works a lot. So he's not around as much as he would like to yeah. be or as, or as Virginia would like him to be. And, but what I will say is that, all of that stuff 
with the kids and all as wonky as it can get. And like the, you know, the, the headmistress at their school prep school, who's like always on their case and is like mad that they don't know where the missing kids are as kids start piling up and no one knows it. All of that weird stuff, Quasimodo in the bell tower, all, all of it. That's the stuff that isn't a kill sequence, but that is part of that giallo weirdness. Yeah. Because some of the giallos are a little more straightforward. Like Bird with the Crystal Plumage is, uh, you know, much more straightforward for the genre, right? As as a detective yes. thriller, psychosexual kind of stuff going on. Yeah, as opposed to the belly of the black tarantula or something like that, where yeah. it's like this starts to fall more in that side of the giallo territory. Again, this isn't quite a Canadian giallo, but. Uh- it Maybe is, at some uh, point down the yeah. road, Rob, we need to do get me another bird with a crystal plumage. I, that, that wave of G, of giallos. I, totally I, mean, I know it. people have covered it, but uh, yeah, there's some fascinating stuff in there. And then we will weigh in. We will come down on a side as to whether or not Suspiria is a giallo. Uh, it's the, not. The answer it's will not, not a giallo. surprise you. It is no, absolutely it is not. not. No, it's it giallo not. influenced. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a giallo. It is. No. I, I feel very strongly on this. Well, I guess now. And we, I love Suspiria, we'll but it's not a giallo. No, no. It is not. It is. Um, I'll add that to the list. Every time Ginny has one of these flashbacks, she's bathed in red light from below. And, and as they go on, the flashbacks get more detailed until we learn that the, that the accident which, in which Ginny was injured happened when her mother was drunk driving uh, over that very same bridge that the kids played chicken over. And the car goes into the water. And while Ginny survives, her mother does not. Um, and it, as it goes, it feels like Ginny, as the film goes on, it feels like more and more she is having some kind of mental breakdown. Uh, for example, there's a scene where we we see Ginny kill Steve with a shish kebab to the face. Um, and Rob, I always thought, you know, the, the level, I don't know if I trust anybody, even my wife, who I trust a lot, but I don't know if I trust anybody to shave my face with a straight razor. Well, I think that test has now been, I'm not sure I trust anybody enough to feed me shish kebab because, and, and it's, it's on the poster. Like that, that kill is like the poster made so much of the shish kebab kill and it is great, but like, it's yeah. not a movie about shish kebab. No. And, and uh, before that was uh, Jenny had gotten freaked out after seeing the swimmer and that she runs outside the yeah. building and then she runs into Alfred uh radar from mash and that's when we think at first that he's gonna kill her he's getting something out of his pockets and then that's when we see that she's got the black gloves on and then she kills alfred and then later we know she entices steve to come back to her place from uh a party i believe and then uh and then shish kebabs him and then i think Anne comes over to the house after that and and nothing day. and, sh- and Anne comes in and nothing is amiss. There's no body. There's no blood. There's no shish kebab. Um, it, it's every. There's no sign of violence whatsoever. Um, and eventually she talks to to Doctor Faraday, who he he still avoids telling her exactly what happened. And then we see her pick up a poker and kill him. And as I meant, and that scene, that the scene where Faraday gets hit with a poker, yeah. Oh my God! How much blood could come out of a of a, of a poker? Like it's like 
like it's it's one step below the elevator from The Shining in terms of the amount of blood in that scene, and for the wounds that must have been inflicted, it's a little much. Like it's like oh geez. Um, after that, Ginny flees the house and makes her way to a cottage on the far side of the property. And not long after, Ginny's father returns home from a business trip. And after finding this time, he is able to find blood in the house, and he makes her way. He makes his way to the cabin where we at last learn what's happening, kind of. At the cabin, the father finds a gruesome scene. The bodies of the missing top 10 students have been arranged around a table alongside the corpse of Ginny's mother. And Ginny enters with a birthday cake singing, happy birthday to me. And and she slashes her father's throat. We're like, okay, Ginny's the killer and she's crazy. But then we notice that one of the girls at the table is alive. And she picks up her head and it's Ginny. And so now we have two identical Ginnies. Holy shit. And when I say identical, it is like, it is, it's parent trap. It's, it is, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're identical cousins, like on, uh, you know, on, what was the, the show with identical cousins? Um, oh, sugar, I can't remember. I would have, that, that would have landed if I had, had identical cousins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, it's, it, Identical cousins. All I'm doubling world. down on that. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just what? think that this is showing that the end of happy uh, birthday to me has somewhat broken your brain, Chris. <laughs> and, uh, let's just well, give me the spoiler and I'm like, of spoiler warnings for what is to come next. Oh, uh, yeah. We're gonna, yeah. If, uh, uh, I've said it before. I'll say it in the spoiler yeah. warnings. So I, I, we have... We have the two Ginnies struggle and one Ginny rips a mask off of the other Ginny, revealing it to be her best friend, Anne. And when I say this mask is, it's like the mask is straight out of a Mission Impossible movie. Like it's, like it's unbelievable. And what we learn is that Anne is Ginny's half-sister and blames Ginny by her very existence for breaking up the family. Uh, apparently, Ginny's mother had an affair with Anne's father and Ginny was the result. And what it means is the guy who we thought was Ginny's father is not Ginny's father at all. And apparently Ginny's mother had invited Anne and the other top 10 members to Ginny's birthday a few years earlier, but nobody came. And that resulted in the drunken drive that killed Ginny's mom and broke Ginny's brain and maybe mine. <sighs> so there's a lot to unpack here, Chris. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the mask. When you say yes. Mission Impossible mask, uh, the mask... And masked as Ginny. This entire movie has just been played by the actress who plays Ginny. So it is hyper realistic. We are supposed to believe that this was Alfred's uh, handiwork. But when it when it does peel off in that shot, it is like you you get the actress who plays Ginny, and then you do the cut, and it's literally like a thin like latex mask that looks completely fake is what's getting peeled off because yeah. you know that's the Mission Impossible of it all. Uh, this is 
uh, perhaps one of the points where many of you who view this movie go um, bullshit and, <laughs> and wind up hating the whole movie. Uh, that is Which not, I don't think, no, I, I like no. this movie. I'm just, I'm trying to get my head around it. Yeah, no, it's it's bonkers. Um, as is the fact that we had this whole montage sequence showing that it ev- before every killing, Anne happened to sneak up behind Ginny and chloroform her <laughs> with knockout <laughs> juice and then, you know, go from there. Uh, it is all rather interesting. Uh, not, oh, it's it's yeah. amazing. Um, it's, I mean, it, it, it just, it piles on the twists beyond all reason. And, and I did a little bit of research on it. Apparently there was an early draft of the script where Ginny actually was the killer possessed by the spirit of her insane dead mother. And then they decided to change that and add the next layer of, oh, it's Anne in a Ginny mask. Um, well, anyway, it, the film ends. Anne and Ginny struggle and Anne is killed just as a cop enters and finds Ginny in a room full of corpses with a bloody knife. So presumably Ginny, despite all her efforts, is going to go to jail for the murders of her friends because no one's going to believe no one. No police officer, not even Detective Staten Island from you. He knows you're alone is going to believe that. The, oh, no, it was my best friend in a mask identical to me. Like which, by the way, would set Happy Birthday to me up very nicely for a legacy sequel, uh, which I oh. would love to see. Uh, come oh. on, Canada. Canada, get on this for me, please. Oh, to hell with Canada. We'll do it. Hey, if you're out there and you're the rights holder to Happy <laughs> Birthday to me, we I don't even know what the idea is, but it's a great one. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, it can't be an idea. It has to be 18 ideas in order to truly be a sequel to Happy Birthday to Me. So let, just to kind of wrap up into this, this is, you know, showing a lot of Halloween and Friday the 13th things, right? Uh, it's taking yes. elements from them. But oftentimes it is taking uh, superficial elements, although it certainly went with the whodunit of Friday the 13th. This movie is a miracle. Like I cannot believe this got it made. It is. It is. I cannot believe yeah, this no, movie got I, made. It, At the budget I can't level believe it, it got made. It, yeah, it is. This is every time and after watching Graduation Day, I thought, "Oh, that's a pretty bonkers movie." No. Cuz I can't no. stress enough that while watching Happy to Birthday to Me throughout, even though the end is the most bonkers, you keep, like there is so much weirdness there is so much yeah. weird things so many weird things happening so many characters who just behave like insanely uh but it is all super entertaining and the and the movie never lags either um no it's, it's no fairly it moves propulsive. for for and, and again it's the longest movie we've talked about in the uh, halloween series so far and it, it, it it's not badly paced it's just it's just longer um anyway i think I think this is a good a place for us to stop for today. Next week, join us next week when we are going to discuss two films that I know that Rob and I feel are among the very best slasher films of this era. My Bloody Valentine and The Prowler. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Another Pod. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, 
get me another. It was the Patty Duke show, by the way. Identical Cousins was the Patty Duke show. I just had trouble pulling it out of my my demented mind. The Patty Duke show. Join us next time on Get Me Another.